So, so Jared, good. how's your day going? <laughs> it's good. It's good. Welcome, is what are we doing again? Do you want to start this out? Welcome to the Voice of the Valley. I'm your guest, Rick Whitmer, and across the table from me, I have your host, Jeremy Pinch. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. You look good. How are you? If we did a video podcast, everybody would know. Yeah. <laughs> but they they get to take my word for it. Yeah, yeah, it's doing well. God yeah. is kind. Um, a lot, a lot of good stuff going on. Inflation is not one of them. Uh, those things, but you know what? As we saw in staff meeting uh, devotional this week, give us this day our daily bread. Takes inflation into account. It does. God is good. Yes, all it the does. time. Inflation or not. Yes, and the bread will be provided. It will be. And looking at the image of bread through scripture mm-hmm. it's it's essential it and is. god has chosen to communicate using bread imagery so and which is good for me because i've always said there are three types of people um, in the world there's uh, there's there's herbivores which are your vegetarian liberals there's carnivores which are your red meat eating trump supporters and then there's carbivores and that is me <laughs> What are carbivores? <laughs> we we eat bread. Oh, oh, your carbs. Carbo load. Carbs. I see. I see. Yeah. We eat fettuccine alfredo before marathons. <laughs> <laughs> and after after we get through with the fettuccine, we go. We don't really need the marathon. <laughs> that was a reference to the office for anyone who did not know. Michael Scott, carbo-loading before a big old marathon. What are we talking about today? I'm just a guest. I don't know. What are we talking about today? No, first of all, tell me about your week last week. You had a little uh, interesting uh, excursion last Thursday and Friday. I wasn't going to talk about that. No, we're going to talk about it. I went over to Moscow, Idaho. Um, I follow a, a podcast. That's uh, a weekly podcast called The Theology Pugcast uh, with... Dr. Tom Price, Dr. Glenn Sunshine, and C.R. Wiley. Uh, Wait, that's those are their real names. Yeah, Glenn Glenn Sunshine. Glenn Sunshine. He's a recently retired historian. He uh, lives in Indiana. C.R. Wiley is a pastor um, in Vancouver, Washington, and Tom Price is a systematic theologian over in Connecticut. They all used to live in Connecticut. And so they would meet up at a pub called the Corner Pug, and they would put their microphones on the table and talk for an hour. Hence the Theology Pug cast, because it was at the Corner Pug. Okay. But now they're scattered all over the country. They were doing a Northwest tour um, in Portland, Seattle, and Moscow, Idaho. And I went over to Moscow, met up with um, one of the guys who started the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Um, uh, over Cross Politic is their flagship show. Okay. And if anybody's not familiar with the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, you can download their app. It's super encouraging. They've been, um, they have a daily news brief, which is both entertaining and helpful for thinking through the daily news from uh, a biblical worldview perspective. Okay. And anyways, I just had had a crazy October and just thought, you know what? Why not? They got a, a couple things going on. They're going to be on the Cross Politics show. Uh, I wrote to the studio and asked hey is there a studio audience or like how's that work or can you only stream it live and they said hey why don't we get lunch we'll do it live why don't we get lunch beforehand <laughs> and then come in the studio and and so it was just me and a couple of the um 
couple of the podcast guys brought uh, their wives along with them on the tour, and so we, with the, a couple of the wives, and then me were the only three <laughs> studio <laughs> audience because it was a kind of a tiny studio. It okay. was fun. I just had a great time. Good, um, hanging out, met up with, stayed with a friend. Yeah, uh, from Yakima, okay. uh, who we'd done ministry together, um, and uh, he was one of our affiliates, and they're over in Moscow right now. So sweet. That was that. So while you were having fun, I was here Working. just slaving away. Yeah. And it was... Was it quiet? It was so quiet. Because I wasn't here. It was so quiet. No, it was It was good. It was all right. It was all right. But I'm glad you had fun. Yeah, me too. It was nice to get away. Just, yeah. It was a quick overnight trip. You got, you know, seven hours of driving for one day of being there. and yeah. But it gives you some time to decompress. Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, I'm glad you were able to do that. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, today, Rick, uh, we're talking about whether or not our church, Sun Valley Church, is reformed. Why would we be talking about that? Well, because it's a very curious subject. Really? Who's asking? I think a lot of people. (laughs) Name three. I haven't heard anybody ask that, except you, just right now. Well, yes, I, that's that's a very curious question. Good good question, Jeremy. I'd like to know where it came from. I, I don't know where it came from. Well, I do know where it came from, but I'm. That's neither here nor there. But it it it's has uh, resulted in us podcasting about well, it. I, you've got me curious. It doesn't no seem need to like be, it's irrelevant. No need to be curious. No need to be curious. I'm just going to ask a few questions, and you're going to answer those questions, because you're the guest, I'm the host. I ask, you answer. That's how it works. Wow, someone's putting on their host <laughs> pants. Finally! We, he's grown up! What's your official title? Uh, director of Worship and Student oh, Ministries. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. That's not what I had in my mind. <laughs> Oh, ask your questions, host man. Yes, Rick, are we reformed? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess I it guess. would shock anybody who has been at Sun Valley for any length of time if I answered any way other than yes. Okay. So I'm going to give a yes. We are, and then I'm going to ask you. And if anyone hasn't noticed by now or suspected, we have no notes today. Um, I don't know about you, but I do. Do you really? No. Okay. <laughs> so Jeremy lies. <laughs> what do you mean by reformed? Well, because that actually is important to this to the question and answer. Well, because there's a lot of people in the reformed world who would actually say that our standpoint um, concerning uh, eschatology, which is. Um, Premillennial dispensationalism. But what is eschatology for some who are listening who are uh, like, They would be post-mill, all-mill. And eschatology meaning the end times. End times. Right. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, we're Sorry. Good. I, I, I want you to clarify a term and you throw out way bigger terms. <laughs> <laughs> what, have well, you gone to college? We... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So are you the end times? You... A little different than some <laughs> other reformed um, folks. Yeah. So and other other and other things things such yes. as, um, so looking at um, Israel, Israel um, and the church, Israel and the church. Okay, um, our view of baptism. Yep. Um, our some our, our some view of church government. Yep. Okay, so there's a yeah. few areas 
that don't give me leading like we would differ <laughs> i'm trying to clarify what you clearly are not Begin clarifying <laughs> yes so so um our view of baptism our view of israel and the church in times uh, church government. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of a yeah. lot of people in some different reformed circles would look at our circle in particular. Yeah, our doctrinal commitments. Our doctrinal commitments, and they would say that we're actually not very reformed. Very reformed. Yeah, because when most people who even know what reformed means, because there are a lot of people who were just like, "Hey, I just love Jesus. What does reformed mean?" But it's getting a lot of traction in the past twenty years, um, and. Reformed for most people, I would hazard a guess, simply means do you are you a Calvinist? And for anybody listening who who may be wondering, you know, well, what is that? It's just a simple way of uh, answering the question: How does God save sinners? And um, the Calvinist answer usually comes in the form of an acronym: mm-hmm. Tulip. That's the Calvinist flower. T means total depravity, which is what is our condition as humans? Natu- you know, as sinners, we are born and choose sin. We are born as sinners and we choose to sin. And, and that's because we're spiritually dead mm-hmm. okay, in our transgressions and sins. We're unable to come to God. We do not want to come to God. We do not care about God. In fact, the scriptures say we're hostile to him. And then because of that, we know that how does God save sinners? Well, um, you, so T is total depravity, U is unconditional election, which simply means that God, because nobody will come to God on their own, God must choose to save some. Otherwise, right. none would be saved. If God waited around for people to choose him, nobody would go to heaven. Right. So unconditional election means that God chose to save people, not all people, but the people he chose to save, he did it unconditionally it wasn't based on any condition in them it wasn't based on their their good looks their merits their moral fiber the decisions they're going to make he did not look down the halls of time and say hey that guy's going to choose me eventually so i will choose him ahead of time Mm -hmm. no it's solely unconditional it's by god's grace that any are saved and those who are saved are chosen Mm -hmm. so Total depravity is everybody. Unconditional election applies to some. And the way that they are saved is L, limited atonement, which simply means Jesus died not to save everybody. He didn't, his death didn't pay for everybody's sins. It paid for the sins of those he chose. That means their sins were actually done away with. Right. And because of that, I, irresistible grace in the acronym, means that God will draw to himself those whom Jesus died to save mm-hmm. and rose again mm-hmm. to pay the penalty of their sins for. So everybody who Jesus died for will come. They are drawn irresistibly by God's grace. Um, they don't reject it. They don't want to reject it. And God makes sure that they don't reject it. Um, and then everybody whom he draws, P is perseverance of the saints. Um which is they will be preserved by God and they will continue to follow after Christ always yeah okay and so that that acronym tulip how does god save sinners it's by his grace alone through faith in jesus christ alone Mm -hmm. not because of anything they've done but by god's sovereign choice in Mm -hmm. his perfect work through jesus 
That's what most people mean when they say reformed. Mm -hmm. And if your question is, are we reformed according to that definition? Right. Are we Calvinist, quote unquote? Absolutely. Yep. Period. Yep. But what you're hitting at and whatever it is that got you down this rabbit trail whatever, on maybe I don't know how do we even why would you even ask the question um, is because there's it's a lot a of question. people who are um, they look back at the Protestant Reformation beginning with Martin Luther continuing with John Calvin Theodore Beza and some of these other reformers that we talked about on the podcast a few weeks ago and they say hey there's a lot more to being reformed than simply believing in the doctrines of grace mm-hmm. those tulip doctrines. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe in other things, you're not truly reformed. Mm-hmm. So that brand of reformed folk, which would be like in the Presbyterian Church of America or um, CREC, the, the um, Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, um, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and uh, the, those denominations would say to be reformed means to embrace the Westminster Confession of Faith. So where did that come from? It came from Westminster Assembly <laughs> in the 1600s. Um, and that confession of faith is very long, and the doctrines of grace are yeah. definitely a part of it. Yeah. But there's more. Infant baptism is a part of it yep. because um, of their view of the church, that the church now, you know, which we, we, we as a church, Sun Valley Church, consider Pentecost— to be the birthday of the church, right? That the church is a distinct entity within the one people of God who are saved through Christ. There's Israel, which is God's focus in the Old Testament. They reject their Messiah, and God does not reject them, but He puts them on hold, and He gives birth to the church, which He's been focusing on since Pentecost until Christ returns for the church, um, and then He picks up with Israel as His focus, and as He brings them to himself as a people. And together, Israel... During the tribulation. uh, Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so during... um, Throughout all of history, the one people of God are Israel, believing Israel, and the church, Mm -hmm. which is made up of of all all believers from Pentecost until Christ comes Mm -hmm. from the church. Okay. One people of God, two groups, Israel and the church. Mm -hmm. One salvation, which is by grace through faith in Christ alone... That's what Sun Valley teaches and believes that Scripture says. The Westminster Confession um, and most people who identify as Reformed say no. Um, Israel and the church are the same entity. That The church in the New Testament is the spiritual Israel. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is Israel. Mm-hmm. True Israel. Believing Jews and Gentiles are Israel of the same faith of Abraham the same inheritors of the promises of the covenants. And so because of that... So, okay, uh-huh, so yeah. the Abrahamic covenant that was made back in, in Genesis 12 is applying to the to the church as a whole, yeah. not just Israel. Yeah. Israel, okay. Right, and so because in, in the Mosaic covenant, which was the covenant that was at the center of Israel's worship and uh, worship life as a nation... Yeah. Uh, the way, the, the sign of that covenant, and, and the Abrahamic covenant, um, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. And so when you were born into a Jewish family, you sh- you were shown to be part of the Jewish community, the community of Israel, by, if you were a boy, being circumcised on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, 
that's where infant baptism comes in. Because reformed, um, the reformed, the traditional historic reformed community, seeing the church as the new Israel, as the true Israel, sees a continuity there where they go, well, if back then Israel through circumcision, that was the sign of the covenant. Now, and they usually get this from Colossians 2, where it's where there is an association made between baptism and circumcision. Mm-hmm. They say, that, well, the sign of the covenant now is baptism. So that's why we baptize infants. It was infants who were circumcised then. It's infants who are baptized now, boys and girls. That's where the infant baptism thing sure. comes in. Sure. That's, that's the Reformed heritage. Sure. Uh, there's also... Um, something in worship called the regulative principle. The regulative principle is we are only allowed to worship in ways that are straight from Scripture. We can't add things to it. Mm -hmm. And we, as a church, Sun Valley, pretty much believe that. Mm -hmm. We do, Mm -hmm. which is why our worship services are structured the way they do, why we don't have a drama team, why we don't have lots of other things that modern evangelical churches have, like Mm -hmm. movie clips and other things like that, because we only want to get our worship from how God has said he wants to be worshiped. Right. So now I'm throwing a lot here on the table because there's a lot that goes into what people mean when they say we are a reformed church, not Sun Valley, but you know, like a Presbyterian church, right. it, which, oh, by the way, that's another one, Presbyterian form of church government, where it's not just the autonomy of each local church, but the church within, um, you know, the Presbyter- the, what's called a presbytery, which is a larger group of churches with the same faith commitment to mm-hmm. the Westminster Confession within their denomination, mm-hmm. who are overseen by um, a, a council, um, and ultimately, it goes up through a hierarchy to the National um, Church Council of yeah. that Presbyterian Church. Yeah. That's also something that is traditionally a Reformed commitment. Yeah. John Knox was kind of the father of Scottish Presbyterianism, and you know that's a very that guy Reformed way to be the church. So. That's why I asked you, what do you mean when you say, are we a Reformed church? Because depending on how you answer what Reformed is, the answer is yes, or the answer is not as much. I, would, I like to between. say we're Reformed-ish. Yeah. We, we pick and choose what we want to be Reformed on. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think when most people, uh, like like you were just saying, when most people think of Reformed, reformed theology they they think specifically when it comes to the doctrines of grace salvation um you know and our our preservation um to the end but there's more to it obviously yeah uh in the reformed quote-unquote world definitely um and and it's different it could be different from even within uh different denominations couldn't it sure but generally when you're looking at traditionally reformed Denominations like the PCA, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, yeah, the CREC, yeah. uh, and others, um, you're going to get that. We are down to the line. Our statement of faith is the Westminster Confession. Yeah. Yep. And then now to throw one other angle in here, there is um, a Reformed, uh, Reformed Baptist denominations there is which they would look at the london baptist confession as their confession of faith the the 1689 london baptist confession 
and they which when you actually get down to it is a whole lot like the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of copy and paste there. And one of the reasons for that was because the Baptists who couldn't get on board with infant baptism because they didn't see it in Scripture, and there's some other distinctions, um, but they wanted to show that they were in essential unity with the Westminster brand of yeah. the Reformation. Yeah. That the, this wasn't two different religions, this wasn't two different sects. I mean, the Reformation was young, and it was still unfolding, mm-hmm. and essential unity was very important. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to show their solidarity with their Reformed, uh, other Reformed brothers and sisters by having a confession that was as much as possible like the Westminster mm-hmm. statement. Mm-hmm. So Reformed Baptists are also very much part of what we would look at as, as being part of the historic Reformed community. Mm-hmm. And they hold to a lot of those same things um, in the Westminster Confession of Faith minus infant baptism that we would hold to. Sure. Um, including view of civil government, there there really is more to the discussion than we have time to get into. But there, are, that's why we, as a church, are in kind of a uh, an odd place historically because our statement of faith is almost identical to um, the statement of faith at Grace Community Church down in Los Angeles, where MacArthur pastors. Um, and the Master's Seminary and University Statement of Faith. There's a lot of other churches who, line by line, are very much in sync with our Statement of Faith, who we would call ourselves Reformed. Um, But it's you always have to qualify it um, with some of these other angles, like, but we don't practice infant baptism. We don't believe that that the church is the new Israel. We believe Israel is Israel. Well, and, and, and the, those who would line up with the Westminster confession line by line yeah. would say that our, our view, our, our premillennial dispensationalism is a relatively new idea. They would, they would. And historically that's a hard argument to refute. Yeah. Um, now we're getting into the end times yeah. and to, to be reformed historically is to be, interpreting interpreting scripture the way that Calvin interpreted it, which was the way that Augustine interpreted it, which is to say, um, like when it gets down to the view of the end times, you know, and this is going back to a podcast we did about two months ago or so sure. on the end times. Actually, I've lost my track of time. It was this year. <laughs> At some point. Um, amillennialism, which is to say that the millennium is now. It is the entire time since Christ ascended to heaven. Revelation right. 20 is unfolding now. Right. right. Um, and also post-millennialism, okay. which is a lot like amillennialism, but with a whole lot more hope um, and uh, a redemptive approach to culture and seeing the glory of God in the gospel taking in- incremental triumph throughout the world mm-hmm. over a very long span of time. Mm-hmm. Those are the t- traditional Reformed um, end times views, yeah. amillennialism and postmillennialism. Yeah. Our particular end time view, um, which you call dispensational premillennialism because that's, that's technically what it's called, um, is, is the newest one on the scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's reasons for that, but that's another podcast. 
But I've also that doesn't mean it's not I've biblical. also read uh, in places uh, those who would argue our defense, uh, who actually would say that it actually goes it goes back to Augustine and all the way back to what Peter and the apostles what premillennial dispensationalism. Uh, not dis not the dispensational part as much. Not that, the dispensation, but the premillennial. The the original form of end time theology, by and large. So there were always multiple views held, even from the first century. Okay. But the majority view um, in the first couple centuries of the church was something called chiliasm, um, okay. which comes from a Latin term for thousand, I believe. And that, um, and so basically believing that there is a literal thousand year reign of Christ, which which we would believe. Right. That's an ancient view. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So I guess I guess um, the question is, does it matter? Yes. How so? What? Well, I answer yes because I'm pretty sure it does, but I don't actually know what you mean by what. By so, does it matter? What is it? So, uh, I mean, for instance, MacArthur and Sproul had two differing views on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but they were they were. Um, the same through and through on salvation. Right? Yes, the essentials were the es- totally the essentials in common. Were, but when it came to end times or baptism or church government, they were on complete opposite mountains. Um, yeah. So I guess I guess in that regard, set aside the tulip and, and the doctrines of grace, all these different forms of government, baptism, uh, Israel and the church, does it matter? It does. Uh, and the reason I say that without hesitation is because Scripture matters. Okay. All of it, all of Scripture matters. And how you answer those questions on those second-tier things, um, which, <clears throat> well, how you answer those questions is a direct result of how you read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation and the unfolding of God's plan. Yeah. Um what you do with large a lot of people think that a view of the your view of the end times simply comes from the book of revelation it doesn't revelation or the left behind series <laughs> don't start there okay. um revelation is is quoting every handful of verses from previous scripture hmm. it is so loaded um with previous revelation because it is the culmination of everything hmm. You're, you're the, I would say almost more than the book of Revelation. Um, to me, the most significant passages that have to do with eschatology are coming from the prophets and from what, and from first Thessalonians and first Corinthians, um, from Jesus's all of it discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. Mm-hmm. Those are what really shape the end times. The mm-hmm. revelation just shows how that pans out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that, you know the view of the church in Israel that has a lot to do with what do you make of very specific things that God said to the people of Israel in the Old Testament? How will those promises be fulfilled? Nobody argues they will be, or have been. Um, the question is how. Yeah, and that gets down to how do you read the Bible? Yeah. So because all of Scripture matters, those things do matter. Those are conversations we need to have. Um, and as Christians, we want to be growing in our understanding of, even if we will never agree this side of glory, which yeah. we won't. Yeah. But they're still, they, they spur on our worship because the more you, like, for example, 
my wife has, um, over the past year and a half, dug in deep to some of this stuff. And I have seen her worship life really flourish. Hmm. It's been beautiful to hmm. see. And that's a direct result of her not just taking her church's word for it or whatever, but I want to know from the scripture, what do I believe? Yeah. And then it's just, it makes an impact because none of this theology stuff, like I said in my sermon on adoption the other day, which is a theological reality, is meant to do, to just sit on our shelf. It is meant to do, it to shape our view of the world and how we engage with it and mm-hmm. where it's going. Mm-hmm. It's meant to stimulate our worship because these are the truths shown to us through the scriptures from the living God. Mm-hmm. It's meant to change it to make us better people in our daily lives mm-hmm. because people who reflect the kind of God who revealed those things. Mm-hmm. It's meant to pass on to our children because all of these things that we would debate about and a lot of people would be tempted to just put off in that you know that setting over there at that conference where they had a debate no those are from the scriptures and Jesus told us that part of the great commission is teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you right so we actually can't ignore any of it right that's why it's important right yeah and i think it's i think it's good too to know what um, what the reformed tradition actually holds and believes, yep. you know, mm-hmm. the PCA and, and yeah. these other denominations. Um, because I think it's, I think it's easy for us to, you know, we come down on a conclusion and, and the, the easy thing to do is if anybody disagrees with us, they're a heretic. Oh yeah. You know, right. Like whether we say it out loud or we, we just like, we, it's like American politics. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You're on the other side of the aisle. You're a reprobate. Exactly. And we it's so easy to transport that divisive mentality that we have in our civic life um, as a nation of unsaved people mm-hmm. into the church and how we talk about theology. Yeah. But you're, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. We can't do that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of good and godly men and women who would disagree with us. Yeah. Um, yet they're super faithful. Yeah. And to be honest with you, when we get into talking about... And I'm still learning things about the Reformed tradition. Um, yeah. I'm slowly working through a book on covenant theology because I just want to know more from people who believe that. Right. Um, where are they seeing this? Do I have a good answer for it? Right. Um, why don't I agree with that? What What does distinguish a Reformed Baptist from a Westminsterian? I don't know a lot of those nuances. Well, I um, don't expect you to, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so it's, it's something that we are always growing and understanding. But when you come down to these areas where we as a church... And we're not in isolation. There's a lot of us yeah. within the Reformed community. And I do say the Reformed community because I, I I have no hesitation in placing us squarely in that community. Right. Because, well, I'll, I'll get to that in just a second. Um, I think the burden when we are differing from the historic Reformed views on certain areas, I would say the burden of proof is on us to show from the scriptures why we disagree with Calvin, mm-hmm. why we disagree with Luther, why we disagree with Augustine, and with what the majority of the re- saints who do come from the Protestant Reformation and know it um, believe. Yeah. We, better sh- we, are, we better be able to give an answer to that, yeah. because on some of those things we are later in the game when it comes to how those theological developments came from scripture. And again, like I said, there's reason for that. But at bottom line, you know, this is just a discussion between us about a lot of concepts that are new to a lot of listeners, mm-hmm. um, or they're not that familiar with it, and so I don't expect everybody to track with it all. 
but in the midst of it, the one takeaway I'd say is what does it mean to be a reformed? If I could humbly suggest, and this is just my view, it means to have the commitment that salvation is of the Lord. Mm -hmm. He is the one who chooses those who would never choose him. He does it by grace. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We look to scripture alone Mm -hmm. as the ground and pillar of the truth. Um, and that's actually what the church is. We're the the pillar and buttress of the truth. Mm-hmm. Timothy, Paul tells Timothy. And w- one of the big thing that distinguishes being reformed from not, it's that the aim in all of it, everything, is the glory of God. Yeah. So the five solas, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, um, glory God alone, and the doctrines of grace, mm-hmm. tulip. Those are the two big things that if your church explicitly teaches those things, I would say you're in the broader Reformed community. Mm-hmm. And when someone comes along and says, yeah, but you don't agree with Westminster, you're not Reformed, you can just say, um, Snob Hill is that way? Mm-hmm. And you, I, you know, Snob Hill. I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's, it's close. It is. Snob Hill's just down the road. Every city has one. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good to think about. Um, Because there are times, too, where I think we can come into uh, our understanding of what we believe without really understanding what we believe. Yeah. You know? Totally. That's almost the default position. Yeah, Yeah, this is is true because this is what I've always been taught, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. without really understanding what you actually know and what you actually believe. Yep. Um, Which is never a good argument. You know? No, it's not. Especially, especially when we we're trying to uh, evangelize to non Christians, like just to say because the Bible says so, right? Is never really a good argument when you don't know where in the Bible it says it, right? You know, because <laughs> you've never done the hard work. Yeah, yeah, and so, and actually, I think some of these the Reformed tradition serves as a great corrective to some of our popular Baptist tendencies, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about some Valley in particular, but it, sometimes it plays out here. Here's one. Um, a kid grows up in the church, gets baptized at the age of seven, and at the age of 23 realizes, I don't know, I, I've really come to learn a lot more, and I, I've really owned my faith in a way that I don't think I did when I was seven, so I'm going to get baptized again. Mm-hmm. I think that is an unscriptural thing to do. Mm-hmm. Re-ba- I regret getting rebaptized at the age of 15. And 32. No, I did not get baptized. <laughs> um, there... What the Reformed tradition looks at in Scripture is the faithfulness of God communicated in our baptism. Hmm. So, yeah, we believe in believer's baptism. And so if a seven-year-old child who believes the gospel um, learns a lot more and understands a lot more about their salvation as they should, the answer is deeper praise and gratitude, mm-hmm. not rebaptism, mm-hmm. Because our baptism wasn't about the depth of our understanding. It was about the grace of God to us in salvation. Mm. And so, uh, you know, a pedo-baptist, an infant Baptist would say the the sign originates with God, not with you. Hmm. So the reason an infant who is baptized in a Presbyterian church grows up in the Presbyterian church, believes the gospel, the reason they don't rebaptize them is because they look to the faithfulness of God in that sign. Yeah. And that's been helpful to me to think through when someone says, hey, I'd like to get baptized again. I... I'm personally not comfortable doing that in most circumstances, unless it was overtly obvious 
that they were not saved yeah. before. Yeah. 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 Well, that's good. That's just one example. That's just one example. I'm sure you have many. But I'm not going to talk about it because I got to go to the recycle center. <laughs> Trying to save the earth, man. Somebody has to. <laughs> it's not going to be. It's not going to be Congress. It's not going to be the Green New Deal. Well, church, it's going to be me and my cardboard. I think you can rest assured that we, as a church, are reformed. I think. I I would say that. I tuned you out for thirty minutes of this thirty-six minute podcast. So. Was it confirmed? Are we reformed? Par for the course. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. That's the way I describe us. We are reformed, a reformedish church. No, we are reformed. We are. <laughs> yeah. That's the community we're a part of, and I'm yeah. glad to be there. Yeah. And it, I think we should end here. Uh, all glory goes to God. That's it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's where it begins and where it ends. Yep. Um, so we'll end it there. Praise the Lord for all of his loving kindness towards us. Amen. Amen. Church, we love you. Look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.